Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the High Vibration Living Podcast. I'm your host, Chef Whitney Aronoff, founder of Starseed Kitchen and High Vibration Foods. Join me for conversation where we learn about food, wellness, beauty, travel, and spiritual concepts for high vibration living. Only you know what your body needs. Let this be the reminder that you have the power to tap in and know the food, self-care, and spiritual practices that will best serve you. I will be sharing my knowledge and learning with you from experts providing insight into nourishing all the layers of you, the physical, emotional, spiritual, and etheric bodies, so you can feel your best and live your dreams. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the High Vibration Living Podcast. I am your host, Chef Whitney Aronoff, founder of Starseed Kitchen and High Vibration Foods. And I'm really looking forward to you guys connecting with Alexandra Scheitzman. We met back when I was in culinary school at the Natural Gourmet Institute, and she was working there in a variety of creative capacities. Now she is a food writer, recipe developer, photographer, and educator. She runs her plant-based food blog, The New Maguette, which she started in 2017 after she left the Natural Gourmet Institute. She also teaches hands-on cooking classes and food photography classes in New York City. She is author of Friends. Thanksgiving, co-author of The Complete Vegan Cookbook, and contributor to various media like The Kitchen, Eating Well, Food 52, Edible Manhattan. You have probably seen her work in so many different places because she's not just a food photographer, a recipe developer, a blogger. She does so many different things in the food world. She's also been featured in Cherry Bomb, Huffington Post, and BuzzFeed. What makes Alex really unique is her global palate for healthy food, having moved when she was nine from Odessa, Ukraine to Brooklyn, New York. So she brings a very global perspective to healthy plant-based, vegetarian, and vegan cuisine. You can enjoy Alex's recipes on her blog, The New Baguette. She also is on Substack, and she teaches vegan cooking classes in New York City. I'll have all those links in the show notes for you. But until then, enjoy the conversation. Hi, Alex. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Whitney. Thank you for having me. Oh, this is going to be great. So I want to start with your story and learning about who you are and what you do, where we met. And that's the Natural Gourmet Institute in New York City. I'd love to know, how did you first find out about this culinary school? And how did you get a job working there? Yeah, so I... um, I 
you know, started working there about six months after graduating college. So it was really like my one and only full-time job I've ever had. Because <laughs> ever after that, you know, I've been off on my own. Um, but um, yeah, I, I just saw the job listing. And at the time I was like, in college, I studied um, English Lit and I really was like into food my whole life. And I really thought that I was going to go on to work at like a publishing company or a food magazine or like work on cookbooks or something like that. Uh, but the publishing industry, you know, at the time was still like changing a lot. So everything was moving to the digital world. And this was all very new. And also just that industry is like notoriously difficult to get into. Um, unless you have like connections or something, which I definitely didn't. And so I found I found this job listing. And it just sounded perfect for me because I was already getting into like, learning about food and health. And also this was a marketing job, but there like even though the school was was running for like 40 years already they really like function like a startup so like you know you would do a lot of jobs within your job it wasn't like very bureaucratic you know it was it didn't have like a very corporate feeling so um even though it was a marketing job a lot of the job description was like very editorial um and very creative which i loved so i was like great this is like the perfect the perfect fit for me um and so that's that's how i got there Tell me about some of the different roles that you played there, because it seems like you were writing, you were doing photography, you were doing food styling. Can you share a little bit more about the different things that you did while you were there? Yeah, for sure. So they were kind of going through like a big change when I got there. Um, there was a new CEO, they were rebranding. So there was like, also, again, because the school like was around for such a long time, it was an institution already. And anytime like something it already has such a long history, when Whenever there's, you know, changes and updates and technology and things like that, like it can be kind of a, a learning curve. So that's kind of why I was brought on because like I was young and I, you know, understood social media. I was already blogging actually, like for myself on the side. And so they knew that I had an interest in writing and blogging and photography, social media. So um, that's kind of like what I was brought there to do is like do their blog, um, you know, start doing photography. Um, and so really I did like everything from like writing class descriptions to, um, yeah, just like help like customer service, like helping people who, you know, were sending emails about like the class they're about to attend or, um, planning photo shoots or like, um, you know, obviously social media, writing their blog, uh, doing the newsletters, like literally everything, everything. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like everything that you do now running your own business and running cookbook, I mean, cooking classes, a blog, a community. Yeah. It's so interesting how it kind of sets you up to get going in that direction. Exactly. For sure. Like I was really able, which like wasn't really my plan and certainly like, like not something that I thought was going to happen, but I really ended up like using all of those skills to really help me, you know, with what I'm doing today. Like if I didn't work in a culinary school, I probably would be so lost thinking about like, how does even one run a cooking class? You know, like there's so many moving parts there, but I really felt like, oh, I, I felt like I've done it a thousand times, even though I hadn't just because I was like in the environment. Absolutely. And I felt like that's what I leaned on when I started running cooking classes was just remembering what it was like when I was yeah. taking them, you know, not so much 
the culinary classes that you're in day to day, but those after school classes that I would sign up for that are a traditional cooking class that, you know, the general public was taking. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what are some nuggets that you took away from working at like the premier health supportive culinary school in the country? Anything that you learned about food preparation or eating or sourcing that kind of changed your life and your ethos forever? Oh my gosh. Um, everything like literally NGI, like changed like everything it's where I learned everything um and um like on a very technical level I think that one of the things that I took away is like how uh like a functional kitchen doesn't need a lot of stuff so like I was like watching like I wasn't in the kitchen a ton like as a marketing person I was mostly observing and I did some classes and when I was working on the cookbook later on I was cooking in the kitchens a lot but just like being in that environment I realized like you know, you don't need a ton of stuff for a functional kitchen. And I think home cooks often get that wrong. And it's very easy for a home kitchen to get like, super cluttered with like, one trick gadgets, you know, and like these things that you see on Instagram, you know, ads, and you're like, Oh, yeah, I need an avocado peeler. But like, nobody needs an avocado peeler. Like, you. it's great. That is great. Yeah. No, and you're talking to someone who grew up on an avocado farm. Like you literally do not need an avocado peeler. Exactly. Like you need one great knife. You need one large cutting board, like a food processor. Yes. Like that I think is indispensable. Like a couple of prep bowls and like pots and pans and a baking sheet. That's it. Like you don't need any latest and greatest things. Like there's really like you know, all these things that are innovative, like some of them can be truly life changing, like people who like love the instant pot or the air fryer and like cook everything in there. And that's great. But like, I have an air fryer and I use it twice, you know, because like, I just don't, you know, anyway, so that's something I learned there. But then also like about plant based food, obviously, like all of the chefs there, and I'm sure you'll remember, like, they were all extremely talented, very generous with their knowledge, too, because I'm sure like, I was very annoying to them, like always running around and like asking questions, like, why do you do this like this? Or, you know, what can you substitute this flour? Or like, why are you using coconut oil? Or like, you know, what do you do with this giant tub of miso? Um, And so, yeah, I just like learned everything about plant-based food from them. And they also all had like very different approaches to food. There were people who were into like very traditional food and very like health focused food. And there were other people who were really into like more avant-garde stuff. Um, So Mm -hmm. yeah, I really... I really learned everything I know about food mostly from them. Um, And also like just the idea that you can take extremely healthy ingredients or, you know, just extremely like nutritious, sustainable food and also like maybe boring ingredients, right? Like some people might think of like lentils and brown rice and like zucchini as boring things or kale. But if you know how to, what to do with them um, and like how to optimize the flavor for each specific ingredient and how to use specific cooking techniques and how to pair things together and also seasoning, you know, like vinegars and herbs and spices, they make such a big difference to something as simple as a lentil um, that like all of that, you know, I learned from them. Like I could, I could go on and on. Well, you and I both 
have a passion for vegetables. We love vegetables. Yes. We love the simple ingredients like the short grain brown rice, the lentils. Yeah. I would love to know like what came first, you choosing that you wanted to eat more plant-based or vegan or vegetarian, or was it the introduction to these foods and you just finding them delicious that you decided to lean more that way? Yeah, good question. So I was like, like I mentioned, I already was starting to think about eating for health before I got to NGI. And it was because I read Chris Carr's book. I don't know if you know who Chris Carr is, uh, but she wrote Crazy Sexy Diet. And she was talking about how she manages her cancer diagnosis through diet. And that to me was just mind blowing. Like the fact that you can affect your health, like your very deep health, you know, um, through what you eat, like that was mind blowing to me. So that was extremely inspiring. And that was the beginning. But at the same time, I was like, okay, I know I have to or not have to, but I knew I wanted to like, try removing meat and dairy from my plate. But I also wasn't sure what else to put on it. So I was mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, so I'll just eat salads and smoothies all the time. And, <laughs> and that, you know, lasted about a week. Because um, you, you know, like, that's not sustainable. It's not satisfying. And it doesn't, um, you know, it's not enough. I think for, for some people, it might be but for me, that didn't work. So then when I got to NGI, I was like, oh, wow, like, tofu, beans, you know, and all these, uh, all these things came into my orbit. And then ever since then, I've just been like, you know, still like, uh, you know, I'm still learning, you know, I'll still have a day when you know, if I overcook beans or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's sort of, you know, that was the trajectory. So one of the things that they teach there in one of the required books is one of Weston A. Price's books, which I'm a huge fan of the Weston A. Price Foundation and their podcast hosted by Holistic Hilda is one of my favorite. And they are a huge proponent of, you know, your traditional diet, um, understanding your origins and eating according to um, ancestral ways. Mm -hmm. And you're originally from Ukraine. And I wonder, since, you know, my family background is very similar to yours, mm -hmm. how did you manage knowing what the traditional foods are where you're from and knowing what's nourishing and knowing what's maybe different for you and your body? Because I'm sure that can be really conflicting. Yeah, for sure. I, I do think about that sometimes. And also, like, I, I have never been 100% vegan and never and still am not, you know, I would say like, 90% of my food is vegan. But if I go to my parents house, for example, and they cook more traditional food, like I definitely eat everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of traditional diets have a lot of things in common and probably the main thing is just the lack of processed foods and different mm -hmm. parts of the world have different like ratios of like grains to beans to meats and vegetables based on like what's available in their environment so like you know like you said like no matter depending on where people are from in the world like there are different diets that will work for them but as long as you know, I think eating in season also is like very, very common to traditional diets, right? Because like, people just ate what, what, what was there now people didn't import, you know, mangoes from Chile or whatever, right? Um, so, 
So yeah, I mean, I think about that a lot, but also the the kinds of ingredients we have today, like even the foods that, you know, my parents, the more traditional recipes that my parents cook, but using the ingredients we have here, it's not mm-hmm. the same as what as what was 100 or 200 or 500 years ago because everything even things that seem really simple like a tomato or a chicken breast you know they see they might look the same and they might be similar but they are not the same and so i think we kind of have to like reconcile that too like that we can't we're not really going to get have the same experience as people would have had with the same ingredient 200 years ago um but yeah i'm not really sure (laughs) if i that answered your question (laughs) no you really did um so tell me more about the food that your mom makes i'd love to know some ukrainian dishes that she loves making and the ones that you love eating um Please share. I'm always fascinated since I am Lithuanian and Ukrainian and Polish and all that good stuff. I'm always fascinated with the food from that part of Europe. Yeah. So there is a lot of uh, potatoes, cabbage, um, onions, uh, and really like a lot of different meats and also a lot of preserved foods. Like I was talking to my mom recently, we're just like reminiscing about the old days of like when we only really had like a variety of fresh produce in the summertime, like for, you know, about five months out of the year, you had, you know, a wide variety of things. So for example, like in September, when we had a lot of tomatoes, that were local, you know, she would be preserving them all month long. So she would be pickling tomatoes, putting them in jars and putting them like in this little closet area that we had. And those were the only vegetables we ate in the winter. So like in the winter, we only had like potatoes and cabbage, but then we could pull out like our pickled, you know, whatever we pickled. And the same thing with fruit, like peaches or strawberry preserves, which she doesn't do anymore here (laughs) because she doesn't have to. Um, And I'm sure she's like thrilled about that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that like preserved foods were a very big part of my upbringing. Um, And then my like favorite foods, I would say are varieniki, which are Pierogi, basically, uh, is just like the Ukrainian word for it. Um, also, piroshki, which are basically savory stuffed donuts. I don't know if you've ever had one of these. I've had the Polish ones that are more savory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so these, if you ever like come back to New York, you can go to Brighton Beach and there are like ladies on the street who sell them um, and they're like fresh, like giant, enormous, um, savory donuts and they're stuffed with um, either cabbage or like mashed peas or potatoes, um, like ground chicken and like so many different things. They're sweet versions too, like with cherries or apples. So that is like my favorite thing. Um, anything doughy really is, is great with me. Um, and also galupci, which are um, stuffed cabbage. So it's like cabbage rolls with ground meat and rice and um, in like a tomato gravy. I'd love to know if your mom ever taught you any kind of kitchen pharmacy tricks yeah. from Ukraine. So any herbs, soups, teas, things that you simmer when you're under the weather to bounce back faster? You know, not a ton. Uh, we didn't do a ton of that 
in my family, I think a lot of the things that I would like, there was definitely a lot of chicken broth. Like if, if I still to this day, if I'm sick, she's like, Oh, do you want me to come over and bring you some chicken broth? I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, um, but that's like very big for her. Um, also like my parents also always recommend a shot of vodka when I'm sick, which I have tried and it has not worked, but like, it's one of those things. It's like an old wives tale. Um, yeah. but I don't remember like having any herbs or things like that in our family, but do, do, did you have anything like that from, from your family? No, because my, both my grandmothers, um, one of my grandmothers is She's born and raised in California, and okay. she's an old California Spanish family. Okay. So her food was 100% California cuisine with a little bit of certain recipes that our family has been making here that have like a little Spanish spin, a little old California. Mm -hmm. And then my other grandmother grew up on the border of Arizona and California, so mm -hmm. or Arizona and, and Mexico. So she cooked Sonoran cuisine, although if you looked at her, she looked like she was from... Sweden. Okay. Um, but her, all of her recipes were Mexican. Um, so I grew up with Spanish, Mexican, and California food. Okay. Um, not, um, anything relating to my last name. Cause that was my great grandmother okay. and, and great grandfather. And they didn't cook really any Ukrainian Polish dishes for my grandfather. Mm -hmm. They really, when they moved here in 1900 and lived in New York City, they really ate American food. The only yep. recipe I could get out of him that he grew up eating was meatloaf with a hard-boiled egg baked in the meatloaf. And whoever got the hard-boiled egg is like the winner. <laughs> I love that. I've never heard of that. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, I mean, it's kind of cute. Yeah, so you take a hard-boiled egg and you put it somehow into your meatloaf before you go and bake it. Okay. And so... You know, I guess it's like you feel like you scored. It's like finding the baby in the king cake, yes, exactly. you know, during Mardi Gras yeah. because you get the hard-boiled egg, you get the extra protein, right? Yes. So I'm sure I'm sure there's there's some deeper meaning to the victory with that. Probably, yes. <laughs> yeah, but I love learning about, you know, kitchen pharmacy and just let little herbs and teas and tricks that people have from different parts of the world because – I feel like everyone has a the same thing according to what grew in their area. So for instance, it's like a bay leaf versus kombu. They almost both do the same thing when you're cooking beans. Mm -hmm. They're gonna help you better digest the beans and add flavor to the pot of beans. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm Chef Whitney Aronoff. As a personal chef, I created custom organic spices for my clients. These blends are of the highest quality with no added sugar, MSG, caking agents, or any junk. I want you to have the same access to good quality seasonings, which is why I've launched my line of organic spice blends. High Vibration Foods by Starseed Kitchen is my collection of chef-crafted organic spice blends made with only good-for-you ingredients. I use organic source spices, ancient mineral-rich Redmond Real Salt, prepare the blends listening to kundalini mantra music, then charge the jars with the quartz Giza crystals for a true high vibration experience. You can now purchase my most requested blend, 11 Magic Herbs and Spices, on starseedkitchen.com. Use code STARSEED for 10% off your purchase. Can't wait for you to enjoy.
I do remember one thing my mom used to make, which is kind of insane when I think about it now. But when we were kids, um, she would make this thing with a raw egg yolk. So she would take two raw egg yolks and put them in like a little teacup and add a lot of sugar and a lot mm -hmm. of cocoa powder and stir it really hard for like five minutes. So it became this like almost meringue, like, like a raw meringue texture, like a pudding almost. Um, and she would give that to us like when we were sick. And I think that the thinking there is like, when you're sick, you don't have much of an appetite, but egg yolks have a lot of nutrients, like also a lot of cholesterol, obviously. But when you're not eating all day, like it's like a quick way to like restore some nutrition. So that was, I don't know how traditional that is, but that does come to mind. <laughs> That's very interesting. I've never heard anything like that. I've never heard anyone else talk about it, but maybe once this comes out, we'll, we'll hear from some people. Well, tell me about where you teach cooking classes and how you choose the theme and menus for your cooking classes. Yeah. So I teach, um, so I'm based in New York, so I teach private classes so I can go into people's homes and bring ingredients and cook with them in their own space. Um, I also have a partnership with Yondu Culinary Studio here in downtown Manhattan, which is like in the seaport area. Um, and we've been doing that for about a year. It's been going super well. Yondu is a South Korean product. Um, it's like an umami seasoning sauce so it's made from soy and vegetables and it's like an extremely concentrated vegan seasoning that's like super versatile so they have um the space downtown that's super beautiful and uh yeah we've been doing monthly classes together um for a while for a bit um and how do i come up with these menus i mean I kind of like have a formula of like the kinds of like, first of all, we cook for about an hour and a half together and we eat together for like 30, 40 minutes. And then, you know, there's some intro. So I also like don't want people to fall asleep or get bored or frustrated. So I want to keep the cooking time to just about an hour and a half. I know back mm -hmm. at NGI, our classes were like three or four hours sometimes. Um, but, you know, I, I think like seeing that that was a professional cooking space like maybe that made sense but for me this makes sense because this is more of like entertainment for people um mm -hmm. and so I kind of have this formula where I want to have like one item that is complex and that will take like a lot of someone's attention so something that needs a good amount of babysitting something that maybe needs a little bit more prep or um, just, you know, some, it has some trickier elements, then, you know, I'll usually have like some sort of, uh, side dish. Maybe that's like a little bit easier. So something that you can just like prepare and it's done. Then there's always some sort of, um, salad. So it's just kind of like a fluffy green salad. That's very easy. And we make like different vinaigrettes. And then there's usually some sort of wild card item. So it could be, um, you know, a dip or a crostini or some sort of seasonal vegetable with a preparation that maybe people aren't familiar with. So that's kind of like my basic formula. And then I also get a lot of inspiration from different global cuisines. So that's like a very easy way for me to structure a class. So I'm not like a, a uh, expert in any one global cuisine, except 
maybe Ukrainian, which actually I haven't done a Ukrainian class yet, but, um, you know, that's an easy way to do it. So like Indian inspired, and then they just, you know, fill in the four items we're making. Um, so that's kind of how I do it. But also so, some, so, <laughs> something real quick, oh, but, um, something that's been so surprising. So I think we've done like three rounds of classes so far. And something that really surprised me is that people are really interested in cooking tempeh. Like anytime I have tempeh in the recipe, in the class title, because the feedback I always get is, you know, I love having it in restaurants, but when I try to make it at home, it doesn't come out right. And, you know, I, I would love to do it, but don't know how. So um, I always include like a tofu and tempeh class as well. That's so interesting. I don't use tempeh as much for my plant-based clients, um, but they do do a great job when when you're out at a restaurant. Yeah. It's really true. And when I was on the island of Maui, there was briefly a raw restaurant connected to Mana, which is like the incredible health food store on the island. It's mm -hmm. like, it's like a hippie version of Erewhon. The food is amazing there. And they had somebody locally making the tempeh on the island. Wow. And they were using azuki beans, which as as you and I know is like one of the best beans in macrobiotic cooking. Yeah. And I absolutely loved it. It was so delicious. And I'm someone who can't eat soy. Okay. Um, but I was able to eat this homemade small batch azuki bean tempeh and feel absolutely fantastic. It was delicious. Well, how did they prepare it? I have no... Oh, how did they prepare it? I think they um, thinly, thinly sliced it and added it into a collard greens wrap, oh, actually. Oh, fun. Okay. And I don't know if they slightly heated it since it was a raw restaurant, but you know, if you're going, if you're technically cooking raw, you can heat things to a certain temperature. Yeah. Um, but I think they kept it really thinly sliced, put it in a collard greens wrap. Yeah. Um, so it just provided good crunch and protein and something in addition to all the vegetables to help hold you over and really make you feel satisfied. Oh, fun. Maybe they marinated it or something as well. Probably. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. But it was delicious. Yeah. I, I still obviously dream about it. And I think this was back <laughs> in 2018 or 19. I loved this azuki bean tempeh. Awesome. I, I didn't know that you could make it something from other than soy. I know. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. They use those beans, but it's like all the different tofus that you see out there now. True. Like the chickpea tofu. Um, there's multiple different bean tofu, or not tofu, um, miso, I should say. Right, right, right. Yeah, so it's really interesting how innovative people are getting with, you know, what they're fermenting. Yeah. Which I guess is really nothing new. People have always been <laughs> fermenting things in unusual ways or unusual ingredients. Yeah, for sure. I think you, you would love this. You know, at Natural Gourmet Institute, we use umeboshi paste a lot yeah. to provide depth and added flavor, especially with vegan and vegetarian. Yeah. Um, sauces. So like in pesto, if you were making a vegan pesto, instead of using Parmesan to add that depth of flavor, you would just add a little umeboshi paste, which is a Japanese pickled plum. And one of my clients, personal chef clients texted me today. She said, oh, I ordered a bunch of fruit from a farm online and it arrived and I got all these plums, but apparently you can't eat them. You're supposed to pickle them. And I was like, all right, <laughs> you got some umeboshi plums to make some umeboshi paste. Oh, I was oh, like, oh, so fun. here we go. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of took me back. Um, <laughs> it was a nice coincidence with chatting with you today. Yeah. <laughs>
So tell me what you currently love making for yourself right now. What are you really into making at home? Oh my gosh. Um, I really like simple food um, and I like one pot meals. <laughs> um, so if I'm just mm -hmm. cooking for myself, I usually do something that's like a one, one bowl thing. So I make a lot of curries, like kind of Thai style curries. There's a lemongrass curry that I really like to make with tofu, on a bunch of different vegetables. Um, there's a cauliflower pasta recipe I just like updated on my website that I've been making. Um, it's very simple, it's just like short pasta, sauteed cauliflower, lemon, white wine, and capers, um, and then fried breadcrumbs on top. Um, it's super good. So that's like one of my favorite things. It sounds really fancy, but it literally just takes half an hour. Um, what else? I also do like a ton of grain bowls. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I like all types of grains. Like, um, I made a farro risotto the other night. Um, I love brown rice. I like tofu in any kind of situation. Um, so I like to like marinate and bake tofu. Sometimes I just sear it have that with like a little peanut sauce, like an Asian style peanut sauce and any vegetable I have around, whether it's like massaged kale or, you know, zucchini or whatever, roasted sweet potatoes, anything. So that's kind of like my favorite, my favorite thing to eat. Any recipe that if you were to recommend someone going to your site, the new baguette for the first time, what recipe would you recommend them trying first? Ooh, um, I have this like sesame garlic tofu recipe that is amazing. It's kind of like a takeout style, like sesame tofu. Um, it's really good. It uses arrowroot instead of cornstarch mm. to, to make it crispy and saucy and gooey. It's really good. I also have a mushroom bourguignon recipe. Um, so it's like, you know, classic French dish, but instead of beef, I use different kinds of mushrooms. So that's like really good in the winter time. Um, yeah, I think those are, those are my top those are great. I'm going to check those out thank for you. my clients because one of my plant-based clients loves your savory sauce oh, that you have for one of your bowls. Yeah. Um, I always have to make a triple batch. So if you are, if you're listening and you're a sauce person, check out the savory sauce on your website. I think it's like the cabbage tofu spear bowl. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, uh, it's like a garlic sesame ginger soy soy uh, soy sauce dressing it's really good yeah and you can use that as like a stir fry sauce you can use it on green salads it's like very versatile yeah they just drizzle it over their rice it's it's everything it becomes their versatile sauce for the week whenever they just need added flavor on anything even steamed vegetables i love that thank you for telling me <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I use it all the time. I try to tag you every time I do. Um, I do post about it on Instagram because it's really their favorite sauce. I make it once a month, triple batch. Um, and it's always a big emphasis when they request that dish is extra sauce. <laughs> I love that. So what are, where do you turn to keep learning? So you love food, you love health, you love everything culinary. Um, where do you turn to keep learning and expand as a recipe developer, blogger, and just someone in general that is into health and wellness? Yeah, um, I like podcasts a lot. <laughs> um, so I, uh, my favorite podcast, actually, I think I've listened to every single episode is the Deliciously Ella podcast. I don't know if you've... Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, it's really good. I mean, there's many seasons, so if you go back, you know, there's a lot to learn. She she features a lot of like different um, experts in all kinds of fields, from like health, sleep, exercise, sustainability, like spirituality, everything. Um, and they're always incredible conversations, and I always like learn so much. And then you know, sometimes I'll do like additional research on my own afterwards, or like find books on the topic. So that's kind of like my main my main thing now and then also I I do read a lot so um I don't I don't read a ton of health books just because I think if you inundate yourself with all this information it can be a little bit much sometimes and can be like almost stressful to like mm -hmm. you know there's so many things you have to do to like optimize your health that it can be like whoa let me just like read a novel for this month and then <laughs> we'll get back to something else later. So yeah, that's kind of, <laughs> that's my approach. But actually, like, since I've been working on my own for the last six years, that's something I really miss is like having that community around me all the time, like working with people who are into the same thing. Like you just learn a lot by having like conversations um, and just like hearing what other people are learning about too. And I really miss that. <laughs> I agree with you. Yeah. I, it's almost like I need meetups where everyone can bring their own beverage, their own snack, their own lunch, yeah. so I can see what they're doing and what they're into exactly. and where they picked up certain new ingredients. Yeah, and actually that's why that. I love um, teaching my classes too because people – sometimes people come and they teach me something, you know, like, oh, have you ever tried this kind of salt? Or like, what do you think about substituting this for that? Or, or whatever. Um, or I just like see that the, the way that they handle things or like, in my last class, for example, I had a salad that had like roasted red peppers and tomatoes and like red onion or something like that. Literally each group had something they didn't like in the salad. This like one group was like, can we leave the tomatoes out? And the other group was like, we don't like raw red onion, you know? So it's very interesting to see like how people interpret your recipes and how they think about food like in, in real in the real world. Yeah, I would agree with you. That's been the best part about being a personal chef is nobody eats the way I eat. Yeah. So you're constantly having to learn to adapt, which helps you just become a better cook yeah. to support more people. A hundred percent. Exactly. Do your guests at your cooking classes or your online readers, do they ever ask about desserts and more health supportive desserts? You know, very rarely I don't know why. I like I'm not very big on desserts. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, really no, actually. <laughs> it's kind of surprising maybe because like I don't know, maybe like they wouldn't have found me if they that's what they were looking for, I guess. Some some people have reached out to me you know, asking if I do like vegan baking classes, but I don't, you know, I always have to refer them to someone else. Yeah. It's always one or the other. I have found with people, they're either big dessert people or not at all. Yeah. And surprisingly, when I have dinner parties with friends, everyone's okay with not having dessert. Yeah. I don't, that's like the one course that it's not even worth preparing because no one's going to eat it. It's very interesting. Yeah. I think I asked, I don't remember where I got this piece of information like maybe somebody who worked in a restaurant or something but I asked somebody who I don't remember like it was either a restaurant owner or a server or something like what percentage of people order dessert with their meal and it was less than 10 percent wow yeah so I mean I don't know how like uh 
accurate this is across the board, but, you know, a lot of restaurants don't even make their desserts on site. You know, they're like refrigerated stuff or something they can bake quickly or whatever. Yeah, because... Yeah, because most can't afford to have a single pastry chef anymore. It's just not cost prohibitive. Yeah, exactly. So interesting. Well, is there anyone in the food or health and wellness space that's on Instagram or TikTok that you would recommend following? Yes. Um, you know, just to preface that, like, I am not very, I know that a big part of my job is being on social media, but I try to use it as little as possible. And I don't like to scroll. And I like, don't watch a lot of people on social media because I, you know, it's bad for my mental health. So I try to stay away. But there are a couple of people that I do like, I always I'm excited to see what they post. One of those people is Justine Snacks. I don't know if you follow her. Mm -mm. She's like a New York based uh, recipe developer. I think she's kind of like new on the scene or I'm I'm not sure. Actually, I don't want to spread any lies, <laughs> um, but she makes mostly vegan food, mostly definitely vegetarian food. But, you know, she doesn't bill it as health food, even though it is mostly like very nutritious food. Um, and I really like her approach to recipes. She has very, very interesting recipes and very innov innovative ways of using ingredients. I think she's like one of the, you know, most talented people out there right now. Um, also, Hetty McKinnon has amazing recipes. Um, I, I love her Substack newsletter. She has like, she also has a really great, great way of using vegetables that are, you know, I wouldn't have thought of. Um, and Deliciously Ella too um, is really, you know, her recipes are like, I, I like her, I like her concepts. Yeah. And then also just uh, somebody who's not on social media, but somebody that I really enjoy uh, reading. Um, her name is Leslie Stevens, and she writes the morning person newsletter um, on Substack. And she's not a food writer or a wellness person per se, but she does write a lot about intentional living and, um, you know, being aligned with yourself and, and things of that nature. So I really enjoy her newsletter every week. Thank you. See, it's it's like we were just next to the water cooler and we filled each other in on exactly. everything we were really into. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> well, where can people learn more about you, work with you, get your recipes? Yeah. So um, if you want to get my recipes, the best way to do that is to sign up for my newsletter. Um, it is algorithm free. So you will always get it in your inbox no matter what and you can sign up um, just going to my website thenewbaguette.com um, you can also follow me on Instagram where I post pretty regularly um, and also if you want to work with me if you want to come to a cooking class or I also teach food photography classes so um, if any of that interests you you can just go to my name alexscheitzman.com um, and get all the information there and if you want to email me it's just hello at thenewbaguette and can you leave our listeners with one healthy tip that they can consider adding into their life? Yes, I think that the number one thing, um, well, first of all, I think, you know, health is really 360. So it's not just about the food, but no matter what kind of style of eating resonates with you, whether it's, you know, paleo or vegan or whatever, um, just eating a vegetable with every single meal. So at breakfast, you can have a little cucumber with your, you know, whatever, with your, your breakfast sandwich. And, you know, you can throw in some, you know, whatever, a vegetable with every meal. And also 
even if there are no vegetables in your meal, like say you're eating out, you know, ask for extra herbs. Like I will always ask for like extra basil on my pizza or, you know, extra cilantro on my tacos. I just love the variety that like that extra flavor, the extra nutrients, the color that they bring. And it's, you know, it's healthy, it's delicious, and it's a really good habit to get into. And also it trains your palate to crave those things. And your eyes to see that dimension of color. I love that. Yeah. Well, Alex, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm so glad we got to reconnect in this way. And I wish you all the best on, you know, your continued cooking classes and all your fabulous recipes you're constantly putting on the new baguette. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. All right. I'll see you next time. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the High Vibration Living Podcast. Please leave a five-star rating and review wherever you are tuning in from to help more listeners like and find this podcast. And if you really loved what you heard today, pay it forward and send this episode to a friend or loved one. For more Starseed Kitchen, visit starseedkitchen.com and follow us on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Be sure to pick up a jar of my high vibration foods, organic spices, which you can purchase on starseedkitchen.com. You can find me and follow along on my chef adventures on all your favorite social media channels at Whitney Aronoff. Thanks again for tuning in. Cheers to you and your health. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.